If everything's going great in your life, it's really easy to tell other people not to worry. But what are you supposed to do if you're out of work? What are you supposed to do if someone you love is suffering? What do you do if you got a terrible diagnosis? Or if your kids keep making bad decisions? Or you're watching your parents mentally slip away? Or you're living in a seemingly endless pandemic? What are you supposed to do when you're faced with something really hard and anxiety producing? Years ago, it was after the first church we were in, which was a contract for two years, and we had to meet certain metrics, and we had gotten so close to the metrics, but we didn't quite meet them. And so the, the plug was pulled, and we were out of work. And we were given, I think, maybe two months of a severance. There were no jobs on the horizon. We left our apartment. We moved in with my in-laws. I had no job, I couldn't find anything, we were running out of money, I was worried, I was depressed, I didn't know what to do, and I distinctly remember thinking, I am ready to give up. So now, let me insert the words of Jesus into my situation, and maybe you've been in a situation somewhat akin to that too. So reading from Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So by the story that I began to tell at the beginning and just by sheer experience, all the times at two o'clock in the morning, I have been staring at the ceiling. When it comes to worry and anxiety, I am a co-struggler. What I wanna do this morning is take like a bunch of jigsaw puzzle pieces. Jigsaw puzzle pieces all have character and interest, but you can't see the picture until you put all the pieces together. And this passage this morning is a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle. There's so many familiar passages in there that we usually take one verse at a time. But today I wanna to put each of those colorful pieces together like a jigsaw puzzle so that we can look at the broader picture of what Jesus is talking about here. So this passage begins with therefore. And one of the chief rules of biblical exegesis, that is figuring out what the Bible says, 
is every time you find the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? Because therefore refers to whatever just went on before. So before we can figure out what Jesus is talking about here, we need to figure out what he's referring back to. And Jesus is referring back to verse 24, which reads, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So that verse, you can't serve two masters, you've got to serve God or money, that is the key to understanding everything that follows in our passage. Essentially, what Jesus is getting at is where do we find our hope? Where do we find our sense of security? And Jesus says, you can't serve God and money. Why does he pick those two? Probably because God and money are the chief sources of security for most people. We talked about money being a source of security last week in my illustration about Ebenezer Scrooge from the movie The Man Who Invented Christmas. When Charles Dickens asked Ebenezer Scrooge word associations, Dickens said money, Scrooge said security. And Scrooge was a miser. He was never going to have enough money to be secure. And we pick that up again this week. If I only had more money, I would be secure, which is the way that many of us live. The problem is, like with Scrooge, we will never find security in money because we will never have enough. I decided to quit competing in the Have Enough competition when I saw Jerry Jones's 357-foot, $250 million yacht anchored off of Santa Barbara. No matter what happens, you lose, Jerry will always win. With money, I think maybe what you can buy is a little anesthesia. I think you can dull your pain a little bit. I think money can make you a little bit more comfortable in your anxiety. But security? I don't think so. I've had enough friends who had things going so well in their businesses and then had some sort of major reversal and either lost it all or had only a fraction of the worth of their business before. I've had enough people that I've known who saved diligently for a fairly nice retirement and then had a health crisis that their money couldn't help. Now, don't get me wrong. As my father-in-law has said, I've been rich and I've been poor, and I'd rather be rich. Money can be helpful, but you can't trust money to solve your problems. What Jesus is getting at is you can trust God, and that's what this is all about. But can you really trust someone you don't know? In order to trust God, you have to have a relationship with him. So Jesus says, get to know God, and you'll learn that he's trustworthy, and that will affect how much you worry. There, that's the whole sermon. But since Brendan has budgeted a little bit more time in the order of worship, let's keep going. I've got a couple of points to make for you. And this week, because I lost track last week, I've actually numbered them, so I can tell you which point we're on. Number one, get your priorities straight. Abraham Maslow and Jesus tells us that we're all looking for a sense of security and peace. But we look for it in different places. We might be trying to find it in our work, in our bank accounts, with our vacations, and none of those things is good or bad, 
but none of them will give us a lasting sense of peace or security. What will give us a sense of security is getting to know God and finding a sense of security in Him. So the first question is, are you prioritizing the right things in your life to help you have a sense of peace and security so that you don't have to worry? Well, maybe the question behind that is, how do you even know what your priorities are so that you can tell whether they're right or not? Two infallible ways to know what your priorities are. What do you spend your time on and what do you spend your money on? Those will not lie. Maybe if you're not quite sure still, look at what pops up on your newsfeed when you're online. A couple of weeks ago, I got really intrigued by the fact that a Wheel of Fortune champion was denied a car because it took her too long to answer the question. And I discovered that Wheel of Fortune fans have very strong opinions. And now what do you think pops up on my newsfeed every day now? Wheel of Fortune news. See what's popping up on your newsfeed because that'll tell you what you look at. And once you come face to face with what your priorities actually are, and you decide that you need to change them or alter them because they aren't bringing you peace or a sense of security, how do you make something a priority? Well, it's actually pretty simple. You just have to decide to do it. Number one is develop a plan to start making something else a priority. So if you wanna to learn to trust God, come up with a plan for how you can get to know God better, a realistic plan. Don't say that you're going to read the entire Bible tomorrow. I mean, come up with something that you can actually do. You have to build a habit a little bit at a time, and then you keep building on that. So develop a realistic plan. Maybe start to pray. Maybe pick up a devotional. Maybe create some space for silence and reflection in your life. Any of those are good ways to start opening up your life for room for God and changing your priorities. And if you, if you want some help, we can help you developing a plan. The other thing, which I think is almost as important as developing a plan, is to tell someone that you trust that you're going to do this thing. You've got to have somebody somewhere that you can say to, I've decided that I want to go deeper in my relationship with God. Would you occasionally ask me how I'm doing? I just need a little accountability, knowing that somebody's going to say, hey, How's your Bible reading going? Hey, how's your small group participation? And I think those two things will start you on the list, start you on the way. You just have to start going. So figure out what your priorities are. Make sure that you're headed in the right direction. And then, number two, look at examples around you. Because if you see examples of God's faithfulness, if you see examples of God's trustworthiness, it'll encourage you to keep going in developing habits and reprioritizing your life. And so Jesus picks up a lot of finding God in nature. Now, everybody who lives in the Pacific Northwest finds God in nature. And Jesus uses that as a terrific example. When you go out and see God's faithfulness, God's creation, God's creativity. What does that tell you about God? What does that tell you about how we can be trusted? I remember, I mean, decades ago, one year when I was in high school, I went to a summer camp 
And one of the devotionals for the morning was to take an hour and to go off into the woods and to find a really comfortable spot to sit. I leaned up against a tree and just look around you and look at the created order and look to see what you could learn about God from that. And I remember I sat down and a safe distance away, I found a bunch of ants. And I just watched these ants. And it was amazing what you can learn about God when you stop to look. Use nature as an example. We find God all around us and will remind us of his faithfulness. Look to other people's examples. Look to people who maybe are a little bit further along in their relationship uh, with God than you are. Look at how they navigate struggles. Look at how they navigate their challenges with faith. See how their belief in God sustains them and allows them to deal with ups and downs without getting swamped. Look at other people's examples of how they find God faithful, and that'll encourage you too. And then kind of the corollary to that, because we're all interconnected with one another, is be a good example. Be somebody who lives as a testimony of God's faithfulness. Be someone who encourages other people by the way they live their lives. So a couple of weeks ago, we had a big windstorm. And I always worry about windstorms because we have 100-foot fir trees literally 10 feet beside my house. And when we first moved in 13 years ago, I remember saying to people, it is so cool that I live in a forest but I'm really afraid that you know, branches will fall off or one of the trees will fall on the house because they're right next to the bedrooms, particularly where my kids sleep. And I can't tell you how many people said, oh, let me tell you a story about how the whole top of a tree fell off and crushed people in their beds. And I'm like, how was that helpful? Try to be an encourager. Try and give people good examples of the faithfulness of God. Try not to give them examples of how they're going to die. Number three, understand what God thinks about you. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I spend my life with people. And some days, it's so discouraging to hear what some people have been told about themselves, to hear how people have been beaten down or told that they're stupid or told that they're worthless and just heard from their parents, from people that should have been taking care of them and building them up. So many people have struggled with a sense of self-esteem and self-worth because they've only heard bad things about themselves. God thinks good things about you. You are valuable to God. There's this kind of similar verse in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, when I was going to preach on this, my mind immediately went to that. Because Peter writes, cast all your anxiety or cares on him because he cares for you. Now, if you look at the original language of because he cares for you, it literally says you matter to him. And that to me feels just a little bit different. You matter. You are important. God sees. God is active in your life. How would understanding that in the depth of your soul change how you viewed the world?
changed how you deal with anxiety, changed how you deal with difficult times, how would it change you to know that you matter to God? Get a hold of that. Number four, when worry comes, and worry will, seek God in his way of doing things. See, I think one of the chief problems with worry is, the danger is that we'll just worry ourselves to death, or that we might just try and manage our way out of things. And we might not always do it in a healthy way. Instead, we can tap into the resources of God. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added. So in dealing with this person or this thing that you're worried about, what about asking, how do I honor God in this? How do I bring God into this moment of worry or this moment of anxiety? How do I honor God in this thing that I'm worried about? And the first thing that we need to do is we have to look at our a priori assumptions, the things that we bring to the table, what we believe about God to start with. And for many of us, there's this fundamental nagging belief that God wants to make your life miserable, or at the very least, that he wants to suck all of the fun out of things. I mean, I love God, but I have this little side thing going on that means more to me, and he'll want me to give that up. I don't think it's that way at all. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. God wants you to have a deep sense of peace and hope. You don't need to be afraid of God or of what God wants to do in your life because he wants health and hope for you, a deep sense of peace. So without fear, instead of worrying or being anxious about this person or the situation, what if you asked this God who has good things for me, how do I honor him with this? And by doing that, you'll be able to begin to bring balance and perspective and hope and peace into the situation. So you're rolling this anxiety around in your head. You're worried about this thing and you want to honor God. But how do you get rid of this thing that's just rolling around in your head? How do you stop thinking about it? How, how do you stop thinking about something? The way that you stop thinking about something is you start thinking about something else. Start thinking about something else more constructive or God-honoring than the thing that you are worried about. You can change your focus from the thing that you're worried about to the God who is faithful. Uh, pop a hymn or a worship song in the soundtrack of your mind and listen to that instead. One of my tricks is an incredibly ancient spiritual tradition. It comes mostly out of the Orthodox Church, but it's meant a lot to me. It's called the Jesus Prayer. And it says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I found a lot of peace, a lot of comfort, a lot of changing my thinking, a lot of stopping worrying when I begin to pray that prayer instead, because it's meant to be a breathing prayer. And that helps with anxiety. Breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that is one of my techniques for changing what I'm thinking about and honoring God instead. Maybe learn some scripture, memorize part of the Bible, and bring that back into your head. I mean, start small. Don't try to memorize the book of Romans. I realized that by accident, 
Um, I had memorized part of Psalm 20, and I just call it back all of the time. Psalm 20 says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Try repeating that every time you're anxious or every time you're worried. Put something else in. Or what about when you're lying there at two o'clock in the morning, what about planning out a project or a way that you can help someone else? What about thinking of your neighbor who's elderly, who can't do this thing, but you could help? What about anything that's constructive, anything that might honor God, anything that might change your thinking or remind you of God? Do that instead. Number five. Don't cross your bridges before you get there. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries on its own. And if you begin to do the things that I've been laying out, you'll build up a history with God. And you'll get to the point where whatever it is you're anxious about, whatever it is you're worrying about, you'll go, you know what? I had experience with God, and I know that I could trust him yesterday. I know that I can trust God today. And because of that, I know I'll be able to trust God tomorrow because you've gotten to know him and you have some experience with him. A couple of weeks ago, somebody was talking to one of my friends and said something negative about me. And my friend reported back to me that he said to them, I'm sure Michael didn't do that. And they're like, how do you know? And they said, because I know Michael. And I know that's not what he would do. And it turns out I didn't. They had heard the wrong thing, whatever. You know, people, people say what they're going to do. But the thing that I appreciated was that my friend said, I know him, and I know he's not going to do that. That can be how we know God. I've experienced God. I know what God will do. I know how God is going to handle this. I know I can trust him. In saying these things, it's also kind of a tacit, acknowledgement on Jesus's part that worry will happen. Anxiety will come into our lives. We, we can't control that. But what we can do is not give, give it control over our lives. Go with what we know. Bank on what we can trust, not the endless varieties of what could happen. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. Focus on what you know. Focus on what you can do today, not necessarily what end, endless permutations might look like tomorrow. And, and this is where some disciplined thinking can come in. I think this is what Jesus gets at when he says in verse 27, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? I think if you get to this point where you realize you're faced with more worry and more anxiety, I think you go back and repeat the steps over again. Look at your priorities. Look at how you're dealing into God. Look at what you're thinking on. Look at who you are in God's presence and just keep going through that cycle. So back to the story that I told at the beginning. I was depressed. I had a lot of anxiety. I was worried. I had no job. I'm living with my in-laws. I don't feel like I'm on the fast track to anything. And I said to myself, I am ready to give up. And as soon as I got that word out of my mouth, the phone rang. Literally. I kid you not. I picked up the phone and heard these words. Hi, my name is so-and-so. And I'm the chairperson of the search committee at Zion Covenant Church in Jamestown, New York. 
and we think you might be a good fit. It's amazing how God was faithful. Now, I will freely acknowledge I get to share what stories I tell. So sometimes I tell stories that, you know, don't work out so well, usually because of something dumb that I did. Um, so have there been other areas and other times of worry and anxiety in my life where I was just like, I want to give up and the phone didn't ring? Yeah. But there have been far more times when the phone rang or when God stepped in or a person stepped in. Far more. Enough to give me a deep sense that I can trust God, that I don't have to be anxious. So if I feel out of control, if I feel like I want to give up, if I feel so anxious I don't know what to do with myself, if I'm constantly worried, I've got options. I have a God who's faithful that I can trust. So this Sermon on the Mount, this otherworldly address that Jesus makes is all about his desire for us to live into a new reality now. He doesn't hold this out as some pie-in-the-sky pipe dream. There is benefit now of living into the new reality because of the way we can trust God, who's revealed in Jesus. We don't have to be controlled by our worry and anxiety. Why stay in the old world when you can live in the new one? So let me ask you three questions. Who or what are you most likely to worry about? Number two, when push comes to shove, to whom or to what do you look for a sense of security? Number three, what is one thing you can do this week to help you seek God's kingdom?